Amen. Hey, let's give the Lord a hand for 12 wonderful years. I didn't realize, but I wore the same shirt that's on the slideshow today. I might have to change before second service. Um, but anyways, man, 12 years. You know, anniversaries, birthdays, we put it on a calendar. We go out to eat something special. We celebrate it. You have a cake. Someone sings to you, whatever it is. Um, those are markers along life. Uh, I mean, think about anniversaries. It's kind of interesting, right? You ever go to a crowd or, or a place and someone says, how many have been married? And someone, you know, will say on stage or they'll raise their hand, oh, I've been married, you know, 40 years and 50 years, and everyone gives them a hand. And at first I thought that was kind of weird. Like, why, why are you applauding them just because they're old, right? Like, you know, um, but when you say, I've been married two years, three years, everyone's like, Psh, you know, uh, because when you've been married that long, it's a sign of, uh, man, this faithfulness over the years. Right? And so you've achieved something. It's been hard, but you made it. It's faithfulness. And so uh, we, we start celebrating those things. And, you know, we, if we think about our relationship with God, each year we celebrate um, his faithfulness to us. You know, just as a couple that's been married 50 years or 40 years, and we might applaud them. Now we applaud God for another year. Another year has gone by at church. You know, another 52 Sundays of people setting up, breaking down preaching and teaching and all of these things. And I thought, what a, a wonderful time. What a special time. And there's so many people to thank. You know, God is so faithful to us. You know, when we started our church 12 years ago, and I have fond memories. You know, we all have fond memories of the beginning, right? When our kids were born or the, our wedding day or the first day of our church. And I remember I couldn't sleep and getting up at 5 a.m. way before the alarm and walking around my neighborhood just praying, God, like, I was kind of thinking, what do I get myself into? What if, what if no one shows up, you know? And that kind of prayer. Um, and people showed up. And uh, I think about that. I think about the praise team we put together back then. I remember telling Pastor John, who was, I said, you're in charge of praise. And we didn't have enough musicians. We didn't have people that knew. So he had to, like, teach people how to play bass on Thursday. And they would play on Friday. And, um, you know, it, it, I just, I said, hey, whoever's good, just Make the, tell the sound person, make them loud, whoever's bad, make them real quiet, you know. And, um, you know, we did praise in that way, and people started coming. Um, and the people within church were getting married, and, uh, you know, they were babies, and now they're growing up, and they're, like, talking with me. And it's still a wonder. I'm like, you're talking to me, right? I remember when you were just a figment of our imagination. Even along the way, you know, we've had um, so many monumental things. You know, some of the pictures you see here is of our Irvine campus, and we celebrated there last week, so I could kind of just be there the whole time and, and celebrate it. Seven years. So seven years ago, I still remember when we finally said, let's start something in Irvine. You know, Crossway's vision was to reach Orange County to be gospel-centered, and to as many as possible. And so we thought, we had two small groups meeting there. Let's start a multi-site, and let's go to Irvine. And that was very uh, stressful as well, but we sent away about the 30, 35, 40 people of our, and these were the committed people, right? And we're friends, you know, some of you are friends with them. And they went to go and start this. And then we had, you know, my, our biggest worry, I remember talking with uh, Pastor Sam, and like, who's going to fill all these gaps? But, you know, so everyone here just stepped up, and God was so faithful, people stepped up. God was sending people, uh, people who weren't serving started serving, people who were serving started leading and um, it was like seamless. And now in hindsight, I look back and um, I said, man, what if we didn't do it? I can't imagine um, the wonderful things that God has been doing if we didn't go out and reach out and do these things. And, uh, you know, our, um, you know, 
pastors, Pastor Sam, Pastor Paul, you know, Bobby, um, John, uh, Chris, Sue, Christian, James, April. April made these backdrops. And you know the design, right? You guys saw that uh, bulletin cover. There's, if you look at it, there's a little bit of meaning behind it and all of them. Um, they're not just stock photos we take and just add something, but April comes up with it and puts it together. And um, she made a big photo booth outside too, so you, you'll see that. Um, and it's really nice. But just the uh, dedication that's been put in and the prayers and all of our uh, community group leaders hosting, loving, caring. Um, we're just so grateful for everyone. You know, and in the 12 years, and especially last several years, there's been also the peaks and there's also the valleys of life. And people losing loved ones, people going through hard times, disappointments in life. But one of the things about the church is we walk through this together. We have God with us and we have each other. And that has been one of the uh, joyful memories of the church as we think about this. And um, it is easy in our day and age to kind of get disillusioned, to be discouraged when something goes bad. And I hear people sometimes in the church even ask, gosh, why is this happening to me? Is God really there? Does he really care for me? And these are thoughts and real questions that we have. And as we continue our look at this idea of finding com uh, contentment in Christ, we see um, this passage. We can't help but to go to Philippians chapter 4. You know, the, uh, you know, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We're going to look at that. The most uh, misquoted out-of-context verse in the world, you know, athletes wear it, and uh, they put it, and they get tattoos, and they say, that means I could dunk, or I could play football, or I could win my MMA fight because I have this tattoo, but it doesn't mean you could just do supernatural things for yourself. Actually, it, it means you could do something even greater. You could find contentment regardless of your circumstances. Uh, in our day and age, we love um, and we worship power, beauty, youth. And so those images that are there, and we see them often everywhere, and it's a lot more in these days, and we say, well, that's the ideal, that's the goal. And so the compliment, you know, after a while is, man, you, you look so young, right? You know you're getting older when someone says, boy, you look so young, and they try to compliment you, make you feel good. Um, you know, when you're younger, it's kind of nice when you, someone says, whoa, you look so mature. I thought you were a senior, not a freshman. And you're kind of happy about that. And then life happens. And people say, oh, gosh, man, you look like you just uh, turned uh, 40. Wow, you know, and that's supposed to be a compliment. Um, but that's the world we live in, right? And it's a matter of us uh, thinking about this carefully. I, I, you know, when we, our staff went to that conference, and I, I mentioned this before, it impacted me greatly, but... Uh, Johnny Erickson Tata came out in the front of 10,000 people, and she led us in a hymn. And Johnny Erickson Tata had an accident when she was a teenager diving and has been uh, uh, paralyzed from uh, shoulders down her whole life. And now she's, I guess she might be in her 60s, maybe more. Um, and she led a hymn. She didn't have the power to do it. She did, couldn't play an instrument, but they, someone helped wheel her up to the front in the middle. And a stadium of about 10,000 people, we sang a hymn together with no instruments. That is power, isn't that? Because all of us will one day, will lose our youth, lose our physical abilities, maybe even our minds, the things that we hold on to so, you know, dearly. You know, the writer of Ecclesiastes says, man, how foolish is it? Someone else is going to have it eventually. 
And you think about it, if we lose all those things, but yet, if I lose all of it and I can be content, that is power. Not, hey, faking it. Not being 60, trying to act 20. Not trying to dress like I'm a teenager. Not trying to hold on to those things and act like I have things I don't own. But to say, regardless of what comes my way, I'm content. Now that is power. Uh, that is something supernatural. And we see this idea here. You know, um, there's a story of a, uh, a pilot every time he would fly over a certain part of the Appalachian Mountains. And there was one particular valley. And this pilot would always stop and uh, not stop the plane, but he would always get out of his chair and he would look. And there was always a spot and he would always look at that. And so his co-pilot noticed he kept doing this at the same spot. And the co-pilot asked him, hey, what is so special about that? What are you looking at? And he tells him, you see that valley down there? You see that little creek? There's a stream. If you look carefully, you could see it. And he goes, yeah. He goes, when I was a little kid, I used to go fishing there. And he says, when I was a kid, I used to go fishing. And I used to look up at the airplane. And I used to see airplanes fly by. And his dream as a kid was, oh, man, if only if I could fly a plane. Like, if only if I could be up there and fly a plane, that's my dream. He goes, you know what, it's funny. My dream now is if I could just sit down there and just fish and rest, right? I mean, isn't that contentment? Uh, grass is greener on the other side. Um, it's something that is so slippery. You know, the um, Puritan pastor, Jeremiah Burroughs, uh, English pastor, 400 years ago, had written a little book about contentment. And he titles it, and he calls contentment the rare jewel of Christian contentment, the rare jewel. It's hard to find. It's hard to have. And we could maybe even trick ourselves into it, but to actually say I'm content regardless of what life brings my way and what God gives to me, he says it's a rare jewel. Uh, most people complain. Most people dream. Most people compare. They say, well, he has this and she has that. If only I could be this, and if only I could look younger, if only I could have these things. And whether you are a teenager or you're a parent of a teenager, we all struggle with this. You know, the tycoon Rockefeller was once asked, how much money does it take to make a person happy? As one of the richest people in the world. And he jokingly replied, just a little more than what you have. Right? And they all laughed about it. But isn't that so true? Just a little bit more. If I can just get bumped up one more level on that pay scale, if I could just go a little bit more, if my vacation was just another week, if my house was just another room bigger, if I could have that kind of food just down the street, if I could look like that, if I could just be two inches taller, you know, we might say all of these things. You know, I was reading this article by a, a psychologist who was talking about contentment and then the introduction, and she talks about how, as she was writing this, um, she had just published the book, and she caught herself saying this, and she was so excited, she says, I'm the one who's, who wrote a book, I'm a person who wrote a book, but she said, in an instant, the next thought that came to mind is, I'm the person that has written only one book in this whole college, right? And we, it just goes back and forth, our hearts are so deceptive. I wrote a book, man. I authored a book. And then in the next moment, Satan comes and whispers to us, I've only, I'm the one that's written only one book. Look at him. Look at them. Look at her. Look what they've done. 
You know, and this was the lack of contentment was the first sin that we all had to deal with, that Adam and Eve had to deal with uh, in Genesis 3. You could have everything here, just not this, but I want that. And this now comes to us. You know, uh, today we're going to look at this idea of contentment, finding contentment in Christ. And there's uh, um, five parts to this. It doesn't mean the sermon's going to be that much longer. We'll get through this. Uh, but really five descriptions of contentment. And hopefully this would help us to grasp contentment in Christ. It's interesting that he writes about contentment in the book of Philippians. Philippians is a prison letter. He writes this while in prison. And sometimes we forget that. And we quote Philippians and we say, I love Philippians. But he writes this in prison and chains. And he writes now about this concept of uh, contentment. He uses the word joy or rejoice 16 times. You would think a person who is imprisoned for doing God's work, for doing something that's good, would not write about these things. The natural inclination is to complain, God, where are you? How can they do this, the injustice? In the letter, in the beginning, in Philippians chapter 1, he even talks about how bleak his future looks. He talks about death. I long to now go. He's thinking this might be it. And it is at that moment he pens this letter. And he describes in chapter 4 this idea of contentment to us. And I hope that this def the de definition of this, the description of contentment, uh, would hit us and would change us. So that no longer am I the one saying, oh, I wish this. If only. And we get rid of that kind of vocabulary to praise God for everything, even now. The first of five, and let me just run through this. Number one is contentment is not bound by life circumstances. Christian contentment is not bound by circumstances. It's not dependent on what we have and what we don't. It's outside of that. And in a consumer-driven world that we live in, this is the hardest thing to understand and grasp. It is outside of what we have. It is outside of the new things we might buy, the good food we might have. It says in verse 11 and 12, basically that this is his confession. He says, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Whatever situation, whatever situation, I'm content. Verse 12, I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I know how to be brought low. It's interesting that there is a way of contentment when we are brought low. That word means to be humbled, to lose it, to lose what we have, to be brought low. But he also says, I have learned um, to be content when I'm abounding. We know people like this. We all know someone that's encountered, that, that's inherited money, made money, and it changes them. It changes them. They've made so much money that they're different now. The way they live, the way they talk, the people they interact with, all of a sudden it changes. They, they, they talk about, I can't go to church anymore, you know, or, you know, there's so much expectation. I can't deal with these normal people sometimes. It, it changes them. And he says, I've, he knows how to now be in need and how to abound. 
contentment teaches us in the haves and the have-nots how to react. That we are held steady in Christ um, when we have plenty. And maybe for some of you, this is the most money you ever made in your life. Uh, you just bought a house. You just bought a car. This is the most money you've experienced in your family's life. And you're like, wow, I'm so good. I'm so, this is time to be humble and time to give thanks to God. This is time to be radically generous. God gives us all these things that we have. Not so that we could hoard it and now spoil myself, but to be generous and bring glory to his name. It's time to say, how can I be even more radical in my generosity? Uh, for times of being brought low, we have to preach the gospel to ourselves again during those times. God has my life in his hand. God is sovereign and God loves me. And he is allowing these things to happen to build character and strengthen me. The one ingredient needed to build character is perseverance through hardships. No one can have any type of character if their life has been so easy. I'm sure, I don't know if we think about this, but some of those of you who are parents and you're raising your kids, maybe their lives have been so easy. And this is a thought that I often had about even my children. Man, maybe their life has been so easy Where's their character going to come from? Man, everything's been planned out, catered for, taken care of, you know, you know, and everything's given. But it is in the midst of perseverance, character is built. And so God in his grace, he gives us even the hardships. Uh, so the setting, the circumstances do not dictate the joy for a Christian. You know, there are two instances that come to mind, two pictures that come to mind when I think about this. You know, one was uh, some of us that, uh, were there, but right after the earthquake in Haiti, we got to go. And I still remember that first trip and going to a church that um, had over a thousand people coming to it, and all of it was demolished and going to worship there on a hot, humid, uh, you know, day in Haiti and going to worship, walking through puddles and mud, and going into worship. And probably a thousand people packed this place. And first of all, I was shocked because the people who were coming to worship, walking through mud and sludge and all of this, their clothes were without wrinkle. They were dressed up for church. Their hair was done. They wore their best clothes. They all came to church. And during that time, the electricity would cut in and out and in and out. And so all of a sudden, we're in the middle of the service. It was probably two hours long, right? And in the middle of worship, we're singing, and then it would just cut out. But at that moment, you could hear the thousand voices singing in their language, worship to God. I was, like, I was just blown away watching them worship. It was so hot uh, in that place. I remember they gave us, the Americans, they gave us one fan. You know, it was rotating back and forth. And, you know, you're like, oh, my gosh, you know, how can we do this? The second setting I remember was when I served for a little while as a volunteer chaplain, and I got to go into the first chapel service I got to go to. On a Saturday afternoon, I went, um, and uh, we're, we had all the regular guys. These were the leaders, and they get excused early to come to chapel to pray and prepare. And uh, we, we had a chance to, we would gather in the front, and we would hold hands, and then they said, we're going to start by singing. 
And I still remember we're, they were singing Shout to the Lord, right? Some, we all know that song. Uh, about 15 guys in a circle. They were singing so loud. They were worshiping so loud that I couldn't hear myself sing. And I remember, particularly, I remember that moment. Because I'm loud. And so, like, my daughters would say, Dad, even at church, it's too loud. Like, you know, tone it down, Dad. You know, without the mic, it's too loud, right? I was like, well, you know, and I'm loud. And they sang so loud that I couldn't keep up. I remember thinking, what are they shouting to God and celebrating for? How can they do this? And it's the faith that they have. Regardless of what we go through. Regardless of what situation we are in. And for some of us, man, this last year has been a wonderful year. So many things I want to put on Instagram to let everyone know how great it is. For some of us, it's been a difficult year. Just want to get away from everyone. It's been so tough. But God is the same, and he gives us all of these things. The second truth about contentment is it is enhanced, it is better, it is experienced better when we are all together. So this message isn't about, okay, just go in your own room, just seek God by yourself, and that's it. But it is about now walking and being on this journey together as Christians. You know, this whole letter. And we can go through all of chapter 4 and look at this. But he's basically writing a letter thanking the Philippians for giving generously to him to use for other churches. It was about money. And he's saying, boy, your generosity was so good. And he says in verse 10, for example, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. You, they are now uh, reviving their concern. They care. And so he's writing about their generosity and they're, they're caring for him. And I'm sure they're writing to him about uh, their prayers for him. And there is this idea of doing life together. There was a Time Magazine article, um, and it was on the concept, uh, the, the topic of contentment. And it asked this question about contentment, and it simply said, what's the one factor that brings contentment? And the main factor, they said, is if you could have 10 friends in your life, 10 people you could call friends, he says, those people, your level of contentment is that much higher. It is something about that. And so when we gather in the church like this, it's not for someone that has something new to learn. You know, it's not the smart guy can't come to the church and say, I've, I've heard it all. I'm smarter in the Bible. There's nothing else to gain or learn. Forget it. I'm not going to go there. It's not just a school. It's a place we have fellowship. It's a place that we learn and grow together in this way. And so by you showing up, you benefit. By you showing up, you benefit others. Don't neglect others of yourself. You have something to offer as you sit in a circle together. You know, thirdly, contentment, this Christian contentment is learned. He says it twice, right, in uh, verse 11 and 12. I have learned in whatever situation. Verse 12, I have learned the secret of facing plenty. I have learned, I have learned, I have learned. It means it's not innate. It's not like you're born with it. It's not a personality trait. Christ teaches us this. The word learned is... Uh, is the same root word as disciple. Disciple that we use often in the church, a disciple is a learner. So sometimes if we've been in the church, you think of discipleship as learning something new. Oh, I got to write notes on a journal. I have to go pray more. I have to memorize verses. Isn't that disciple? 
Yeah, of course, those are good things. But discipleship happens in our contentment. I'm learning to be content in this way. There was a study done. Um, there's people outside ready for pictures. I could hear them, right? Um, and so we'll get through this. But there was a study done. They talked about the level of happiness in everyone. And they said from your teenage years, right, to the age of 40s, right, your, uh, your happiness is constantly on the decline on average. Right? So those of you who aren't in your 40s yet, you're like, yeah, yeah. Because, you know, your teenage years, you know, you're thinking, I'm going to rule the world. Life is fun. Life is great. I'm healthy. I'm not worrying. And then, you know, bills and jobs and this and that and more bills and then kids. And, and then it says your happiness declines. But there's a magic number. At the age of 46, it plateaus. Right? Pastor Sam's 46, I think, right? So uh, it plateaus. All of a sudden, it plateaus. It no longer gets worse. Because you say, boy, this is it. And then from age 46 till God takes you home, it starts going back up, right? It starts going back up. The happiest age that a person is, is at the age of 74, they say. At the age of 74. It just keeps going up till 74. And then after that, you know, I don't know. They just stopped the study. All right? I'll leave it at that. <laughs> um, but it's a process of learning it. And so maybe you say, I've been like this. I just kind of complain about things. That's who I am. No, you could learn it. Christ is teaching you this thing, these things. And number four is this contentment, it's described as a secret because the world doesn't understand this. Everyone else says, boy, I need to find it in my circumstances, where I live, what I do. But it says in verse 12, I have learned a secret. And the secret is found in Christ. There's a, a report then called the World Happiness Report, right, by the United Nations. Um, and so they rank all the countries by the happiness levels. Did you know that? That's what they do at the United Nations. I, I didn't know that, right? I thought they did other better things. Anyways, so number one is Finland. Number two is Norway. Number three is Denmark. Canada's seven. Australia's ten. U.S. is 18, right? But I'm not going to move to Finland or Norway or Denmark. You know, I, 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 what's there to do there, right? Danish? I don't know. Like, there's no, there's no good food there. There's no Korean barbecue there or sushi there, I would imagine. There's no beaches there like this. It doesn't matter where we move. So this moving to Finland, is that going to change my happiness? No, I don't think so. I'm just an unhappy person going to a bunch of happy people. You'll ruin it for them, right? <laughs> so don't go. Uh, number five, uh, this contentment, this secret is found in Christ. Paul's writing, and the theologians talk about this, he keeps pointing to this, that it is um, a, a, a rebuttal of Stoicism, right? The Stoics of the day, the Stoics, um, Seneca, and so forth. So Stoics believe, boy, you have to find contentment within yourself. This is kind of very similar to modern-day Buddhism and so on. You have to find it within. Your circumstances, i got to find my happiness within. And so there was a phrase that they would use to be stoic calm, stoic calm. So it doesn't matter what life brings your way, I'm just stoic calm. I found it within. But what he is saying, and Paul is saying in the face of these people who would believe something like this, is no, it's just, you cannot find it in yourself. You find it outside of yourself. It is a foreign place you have to go. It is Jesus Christ who now 
gives it to you. And so that verse that is so misquoted, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Through him, in him, I have strength so that I can say, doesn't matter what life was like, what I was eating yesterday, what I did, what other people are doing, where I live, I am content in him. It is found outside of us. We are terrible sources of joy. We all, I have days like this, I, you get moody for no reason. Right? You're living in America, living in a nice house, drinking a Starbucks, and oh, I'm just sad today, right? I don't know why. It's just too hot. Oh, you know, oh, today, now it's all cloudy. And um, if we live in the richest place and have all these things, then we can't trust ourselves. If our mood goes up and then we find it somewhere else. William Barclay writes in his book, Finding Contentment, the development of Christian contentment in a sinful, discontented heart is an impossible task, but what sinful human beings cannot achieve, God can and will. He changes us. He makes us this way. So we find our contentment in him. Let's change our minds. The next time, today, the next time you open up, let's say some social media, and someone has got their toes in the beach and they're drinking a pina colada and you say, oh, life is good, hashtag blessed. Don't like that picture, okay? <laughs> don't hate that either, but don't like it. Just say, hey, don't need that. I could be at home eating the extra tacos I took from church. Hey, life is good because God is good. Christ is good in us. We find it in him. We run to him, the living water, and we find it in him. And so it's another year. Another year of growing in faith, growing in contentment that we want to live for him. And God willing, we get to 74 and we've been walking with him all these years. Boy, our level of contentment as we learn from him will just be sky high. And I hope that we make it till we are all 74, right? And I hope that we would be the happiest group of senior citizens at any church, right, in America. We would just be content. Isn't that what we want? Let me pray for us. Uh, thank you, Lord, for your goodness. Thank you, God, for the contentment we find in you. This year, this past 12 years, you have uh, taught us these things, and we're still learning. We grumble easily. We get sad easily. Um, God, we, we complain easily. But, Lord, we look to you, and we find contentment. So we thank you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to give our offering at this time.